0: Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. at Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry over there, and we're just here jiggling away. Slosh, slosh. On our pleasure pit. <laughs> God.
2: Oh, man. It's so funny. When I started researching this, I was like, waterbeds? That's very stuff you should know. Yeah. So it sort of fits right in with our mm-hmm. uh, historical pop culture phenomena series. Phenomena. Uh, And big shout-out to The Atlantic, one of our favorite rags. Uh, A lot of this was taken from a 2010 article by Rebecca Greenfield uh, and then a bunch of other cool uh, supplementary stuff, New York Times. Who else?
1: Uh, Washington Post.
2: Yeah, WAPO. All those fake news outlets.
1: (laughs) Right. Although I, I really love the New York Times and the Washington Post ones because they were like contemporary articles. Yeah. Like, the New York Times one was in 1986, and WAPO was from 1991, and they're writing about the phenomena of, of um, waterbeds mm-hmm. at the time. I love that, man. I love yeah. being able to go back, read an article, and then go back and see how it actually unraveled, like, in real time, basically.
2: Yes. See, like, sure. <laughs> sure. It's a little time capsule, if you will, and you can look back now and say, did they get it right? Or was it did. fake news? <laughs> I don't even like saying those two words together. I
1: don't either. It's so played out.
2: So played. All right. Let's talk about the waterbed. You ever had one?
1: No. Yeah. I, I kind of wanted one.
2: <laughs> I didn't have one. I kind of wanted one too. Sure. I think we're just of that age. Uh-huh. And they came about, as you'll see, we're going to talk about the 70s and 80s. That And the 80s is when they peaked sales-wise. Right. I think even like young'uns like us were very intrigued.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah.
2: My friend had one.
1: Yeah. Did you sleep on it?
2: No, never slept on that one. I laid down on it once, I think, because I was was like, I got to know what this feels like at least. Right. Uh, And I think it was, they may have called it waveless, but I don't even know what the difference was, because it was pretty wavy.
1: What decade was this?
2: This would have been mid to late 80s.
1: Yeah, I don't even, they had waveless ones back then?
2: I think so. They okay. they, they were called yeah. waveless, but I don't know how. It still sloshed you around? Yeah, I remember very distinctly laying on it. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I could sleep on this. Yeah. It yeah. didn't seem like, I mean, it wasn't uncomfortable, like it caused me pain. Yeah. But I move around a lot in my sleep. <laughs> uh,
1: bees, bees. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so it's not, it's not a good, or at least the old school waterbeds are not a good match for me. Right. Memory foam is a little better, actually.
1: Supposedly, they've come a long way, and the, yeah. the new waterbeds are the bomb. I
2: would be curious to lay on one.
1: Yeah, Well, go to a dealer in South Florida. I think City Furniture in South Florida <laughs> is bringing back the waterbeds.
2: Oh, there's other places, too. Because the design now, we'll, we'll get to it, but it's much different. It's not, it's not the good old days where you just fill up a big vinyl rubber bladder right. and— While you're like holds.
1: tripping on some grass (laughs) and listening to Dark Side of the Moon.
2: You know, the funny thing about my friend Chris's waterbed, though, and his whole house was a time capsule of the 1970s. He had a waterbed in front of a wall that the wall was a photograph of a, like a Hawaiian beach sunset.
1: Oh, man, we had two of those in my house. Really? We had one, one was a straight up forest. So yeah. it was like, oh, I'm in the family room. I'll walk into the kitchen. Oh, my God, I'm in the forest, That's basically, so right? And then if you went upstairs, and this is my childhood home mm-hmm. in Toledo, Ohio. Um, and when you went upstairs to my sister's rooms, you the when you got right up to the top landing, there was like an outdoor, like, Coors beer scene, like in the woods with like yeah. a stream coming through. Rocky Mountains. Giant murals. That's great. In my house.
2: Yeah, we never... It's weird, like, when I look back at the house I grew up in, it didn't have any of those cool 70s things. Mm -hmm. But now that I look back, I think it's probably, you know, I was not cool then because we lived in this huge house in the woods. Right. But now that I look back, I'm like, that was where I would like to live now.
1: So what was the aesthetic of your house? Sort of
2: contempo country.
1: Okay. That's hip. Like Jerry Reed or something lived there? Yeah, I mean, we had...
2: Looking back, we had shag carpet, orange shag carpet. There were some markings of the day, <laughs> um, but then that was replaced with hardwoods at some point in the in the 80s. Gotcha. Um, but then when I had, you know, not too long ago, I went back to my childhood home and broke in because so it was for sale.
1: Oh, really? And, and empty. Wow.
2: And uh, you broke in. Well, not for sale. It was just sort of derelict and empty.
1: Did you break a window to break in?
2: No, I just got in like I used to get in. It was, no, that's Emily was awesome. like, "It's locked," and I was like, "Watch this! <laughs> watch
1: this!" I used to sneak out and read Bible passages,
2: <laughs> so I snuck in through the uh, garage window. And looking back, there was a lot of a lot of the same stuff was there, and it was very kind of seventies tile mm-hmm. and linoleum and stuff like that. But it just wasn't full on like Brady Bunch stuff.
1: That's so cool, man. or
2: or wall murals. And I'm glad I went because sadly, it is no longer there.
1: I'm glad you went, too, then. A
2: couple of months later, just torn down, Mm -hmm. and I went back and saw a big emptiness, and I cried.
1: Did you? The end. I could see that. (laughs) uh, Yumi and I went to Toledo, and then I since went once, when we went to uh, Cleveland Uh for our show, I went by myself and walked around kind of hoping that the people who live in the house would be like, what's that weirdo doing, and stick their head out and be like, (laughs) can I help you? And I'd be like, yeah, actually, can I come in your house? Um, But No one did. But I did get to walk around the neighborhood. Did you cry? Uh, a little. Nice. But I, I saw I want to go back to my elementary school, and it's just like a grass field now. Oh, man. It's like, how do you tear down an elementary school, you know? Yeah. Maybe it got like black mold or something. Well, let's hope. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's sweet. It's bittersweet to go back to. Yeah. Like, go back to your
2: weeks. childhood places, everyone. I highly re- highly recommend it. So waterbeds. <laughs> yeah, waterbeds. Um, We'll go back to the earliest history, I guess, but um, the man that we really need to talk about is a man named Charles Hall, Hmm. the inventor of the modern waterbed as we know it. 1968, Yeah, he's a student at San Francisco State. He's taking a design class.
1: Oh, he was like a design major.
2: Well, yeah, because he submitted this as his master's thesis was the waterbed. How awesome is that?
1: So I saw competing stuff of what he actually created. Like, built? Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that I saw, I think it was in that WAPO 1991 article, it said what he created was called the Pleasure Pit, (laughs) and it was an eight-foot-by-eight-foot, basically, water bed.
2: Tub of pudding.
1: But it was meant to be a conversation pit for multiple people to kind of hang around in, and there was, like, a bar, and there was lighting and, like, um, shelves and stuff like that, and that that was the original... Of his design.
2: Yeah, but was there a water mattress function or was it just yeah. a sunken no, living room?
1: No, it, that was the thing. That was where everybody sat was on a water mattress in the middle. It sounds awful. It's just weird. But it really caught everybody's imagination. Supposedly yeah. within six months, it was on the front page of papers across the country. This is in San Francisco. The Miami Herald had something on the front page yeah. about the, this waterbed exhibit in San Francisco that this... 24-year-old design student created.
2: Capital P, capital P.
1: Uh, yeah, Pleasure Pit.
2: Everything I've seen, is it's capitalized.
1: But that's what I'm saying. I think that's what he called the yeah. first thing. Yeah. But it, it very quickly got turned into a, a bed, the yes. water bed.
2: I used to like, actually, my same friend, Chris, mm-hmm. had a, one of those sunken living rooms.
1: Oh, I love those. Very 70s. You remember uh, in... Um, Oh, what's uh, the Big Lebowski when he goes see to see Jackie Child or Jackie whatever? Jackie his, Treehorn, yeah. Jackie Treehorn. Uh-huh. Yeah, his whole house is yeah. just amazing. <laughs> yeah, he had a conversation pit.
2: Uh right, conversation pit. That's what it was called. Yeah. So uh here's the deal from Time magazine, nineteen seventy one. In Manhattan, the waterbed display at Bloomingdale's department store. For a while was a popular singles meeting place. Mm -hmm. Sears, Roebuck, and Holiday Inns are eyeing the beds. And Lake Tahoe's King Castle Hotel has already installed them in luxury suites. And this is, uh, I think it continues. Playboy tycoon Hugh Hefner has one, king size, of course, and covered with Tasmanian possum. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I thought, how gross is that? Because what I know as a possum is different. different. I looked up the Tasmanian possum. It's super soft. I would imagine so. It's not like American roadkill No, on your waterbed. <laughs> right?
1: It's, it wasn't even made from it. It just had a bunch of live American possums on his bed, on his waterbed. <laughs> Hugh Hefner was really weird.
2: Uh, but here's the deal. The waterbed that Charles Hall cre- eventually would go on to create, and we'll talk about some of his earlier designs aside from the pleasure bit, he wanted to revolutionize sleeping.
1: Yeah, he meant it very seriously.
2: He wanted to have a pressure point free mattress that would envelop your body right. and give you the best night's sleep of your life. He had no intention of it becoming this, which it very much did, mm-hmm. a metaphor for the sexy 60s and 70s.
1: Right. But it definitely did. Like you say, it was its a really good example of an idea just basically getting hijacked.
2: Big time.
1: And th- at first, he was kind of like, eh, I'm just a 24-year-old design student. I don't, I don't care. I'm, sure, make your own waterbed knockoff. Yeah. But then over time, he definitely came to care and s- spent a couple of decades pursuing um, uh, infringement Yeah, suits. Here and there. Patent infringement suits, um, which we'll talk about later. But at first, it was basically like, here's the waterbed world, and the world went nuts. Uh, and again, yeah, he meant to revolutionize sleep, but the hippies and the people who own head shops, which mm-hmm. is where you bought your waterbeds early on, yeah. was at the head shop, said, no, this is all about sex. And that's how it, that's how it was first sold in the late 60s and early 70s.
2: I have never mm-hmm. had sexual intercourse on a waterbed, mm-hmm. but I, I does, it doesn't sound appealing to me.
1: Right, because so one of the in this, I think the Washington Post article quotes a Washington Post article from the 70s. Saying, like, a waterbed salesman said, it's very like, very much like three people are having sex because the bed itself is like a third warm body participating (laughs) uh, in the motion or something like that. In the worst possible way. And I looked up, yeah, I was like, it's just weird. And I looked up, um, like, sex on a waterbed. Of course she did. (laughs) On, um. (laughs) On a work computer. Right. Uh, Oh, yeah, the work computer is super tainted now. It's fouled. Um. And the I, I found like this one I can't remember the website, but it was basically like pros and cons, mm-hmm. and it sounds like it comes down to your preferences, you know, like what what, like are you into your motions being exaggerated, <laughs> you know? And I guess yeah, Chuck's laughing because I'm like kind of making those you're thrusting motions. toward me, <laughs> right? Um, if you're into that, great. If you're not, or you, yeah, um, apparently it's really like. It, you, it really is pronounced. It's mm-hmm. not something going on in the background. It's like, you right, know, yeah. part of it. and Part of the, part um, of the ride. Right. So it, it just depends on your preferences, I think. But I think a lot <laughs> of the earliest waterbeds were, were bought by guys who were pretty mm-hmm. confident they yes. could be like, I've got a waterbed. You want to try it out? Yeah. And that, that would happen.
2: It became the, a punchline. Like, I remember,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I feel like every other sitcom or movie at some point, there was a scene where they were like, oh, he's got a waterbed. Mm-hmm. Or he would just slowly open the door to reveal the waterbed. Right. And that meant only one thing. It did. Master lover.
1: Right. So the um the and then the waterbed invariably like they couldn't make it work because one of them would get flopped off. <laughs> sure. Or somebody would make it spring a leak and then the leak right. would just go everywhere. <laughs> Whenever waterbeds appeared in TV and movies, like it w- it went badly.
2: All right, let's take a break. I'm all hot and bothered. We'll come back and we'll talk about some of uh, Charles Hall's early designs right after this.
1: All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards.
0: Stuff with and Charles. Stuff you should know.
1: Okay, so again, that was like the first reception to waterbeds. Hugh yes. Hefner had one. He had two actually, he had one on his jet too. Um <laughs> he uh that, like one of the Smothers brothers bought one to, I guess, help his sex life out, guy mm-hmm. from Jefferson Airplane. Sure. And you bought them at head shops. Mm-hmm. And they were sold by waterbed manufacturers. Again, none of whom bothered to get a license from the, the Charles Hall, the inventor and patent holder. Yeah. But they had names like Wet Dream. Yeah. Somebody mm-hmm. named their company <laughs> Wet Dream, and that was okay in the 70s.
2: Uh, let me see here. What else? Uh, Aquarius. Joyapeutic Aqua Beds. Mm-hmm. Joyapeutic. Um, Aquarius products, like you said, Waterworks what else uh that that 's all I have. I got gotcha. you, I think wet dream we should have stopped there <laughs> sure um
1: it 's definitely the worst of all of them
2: <laughs> so before this came about, Charles Hall, a couple of his prototype early prototypes um one it sounds sort of like a bean bag chair almost mm-hmm. but it was a ch- a big bag chair full of uh three hundred pounds of liquid corn starch, yeah that the idea was you would sit in it and it would envelop you. It sounds like a nightmare.
1: Yeah, like he didn't mean for it to envelop you. It was like he hadn't hit upon the waterbed yet. He was trying out different substances. But, yeah, you just sink in. Gross. Right. So he moved on to Jell-O. For real. That didn't work either.
2: That's not a joke, people. Yeah, yeah, it's true. He put Mm Jell-O in this thing. Uh, Did not have the right temperature or consistency. Yeah. So eventually, he would uh, thanks to um, thanks to vinyl really becoming a, a very popular thing, mm-hmm. uh, and and being used for things as, other than like car parts and tires and things, right? And O rings, uh, vinyl became a, a hot item. So he filled up this vinyl bladder with water, had a temperature control device on it. Uh, and the the idea there was not to have some hot bed, but to sink up to your body temperature,
1: right, so your muscles would relax, yeah, mm-hmm. he had the purest
2: of intentions,
1: no, he really did, and he he hit upon it finally, and again in that nineteen sixty eight masters thesis
2: well nineteen sixty eight was part of the problem, summer of love, uh-huh. uh people were having sex all over the place, sure, and uh th- there's a story named Andrew Kirk who said that basically design in the late 60s was a freeform atmosphere. Mm-hmm. People were really getting, and if you've ever, like, I love uh, design museums. Mm-hmm. And if you ever go to some of these, it's kind of cool to see what they were doing in the 60s. Yeah. Um, because it was kind of a crazy time for design.
1: Yeah, because a lot of people were open to trying new things. Sure. I mean, up to this point, you had a mattress, and you were just thankful that it wasn't filled with hay. Right. You know, it had springs, and you liked it. That's the way it was, and you liked it. That's right. Um, so the idea of this, Something totally new. Like, it was two things. One, this guy was trying to revolutionize sleep, mm-hmm. and it came at a time when people were willing to, like, oh, yeah, let's, the bed's boring. Let's try something different. Right. And it just kind of came together really well. But again, it got hijacked by people who own headshots. Yeah.
2: Well, and he was in San Francisco. It all kind of converged um, to. Right work against him ironically.
1: But he fought, he applied for a patent I think in 1968, but it wasn't until 1971 that it was granted because prior to his design being um debuted like 30 or so years prior, Robert Heinlein, the um, very famous and prolific science fiction writer, mm-hmm. he had basically described waterbeds so frequently and in such detail that he was considered the intellectual property holder That's of waterbed designs. Yeah. The reason Heinlein even went to the trouble of uh, he liked to describe stuff in his books apparently. I haven't read any of them yet.
2: No, but very detailed descriptions, right. yeah.
1: And one of the things that he kept he that always popped up was these waterbeds and apparently in the 30s he spent a lot of time in hospital beds. So he was just imagining how they could be improved and he described Water beds almost exactly like Charles Hall had described them.
2: Yeah, he said um, a pump to control water level, mm-hmm. side supports to permit one to float rather than simply lying on a not very soft water filled mattress. Right. Uh, thermostatic control of temperature, safety interfaces to avoid all possibility of electric shock, which mm-hmm. was a big sort of urban legend at the time. Right. You can be electrocuted if you have vigorous sex. Yeah. <laughs> uh, waterproof box to make uh, it leak proof. Um, which was another probably legitimate um, con yeah, for a waterbed. For sure, sometimes they would leak back then, uh, and then some other things. But basically, it all came together to form such a robust. All even though it was in a science fiction novel, mm-hmm. that he was he had to like go to court, right? And say, I don't know if he was looking for money or
1: who Heinlein. I'm yeah. not sure how it came out that Heinlein owned the intellectual property of it. If he came out and said uh, that's mine. Or what? But at, at by within three years of Chris or Charles Hall coming out with this, he um he had the patent for it.
2: And even way back in the 1800s, <clears throat> uh, there were doctors who created one guy named Doctor Neil Arnaud or Arnot created a hydrostatic bed. Uh, the he, name of it. He covered a warm bath with a rubber cloth and sealed it with varnish. Yeah. Uh, and another doctor in 1893, Doctor Portsmouth. And these were basically to prevent uh, bed sores, to relieve bed sores. Right. And even Heinlein's, he said, like you said, he cooked it up because he had been in hospitals a lot. Yeah. And he was like, I'm getting killed on these hard beds.
1: Yeah, and the the reason you would want some sort of um, water-filled bed for a hospital is because people are laying around in bed all the time. Mm-hmm. And when you have skin covering like a bony layer, you get bed ulcers, and you don't want those, no, so this was to prevent bed sores um That's why the earliest physicians were coming up with them but so finally, by nineteen seventy one Charles Hall holds the patent, and again he was he wanted to create a serious sleep product, mm-hmm. and he founded a company called Interspace Environment, and they were selling like the real deal legit high end water beds.
2: He even named it seriously,
1: mm-hmm. right. He opened like 32 stores in California in the early 70s and um, had a, a factory, like he was doing it right. His did not leak. One of the things that waterbeds were very much known for is that the sheets would pop off. It yeah. didn't fit very well. Yeah. The sheets fit on his. Um, the temperature control was great. They were like really high-end beds mm-hmm. made and designed by the guy who actually designed them. The problem is, is he didn't really pursue any patent stuff and so there were knockoffs out of the gate, and it was the knockoffs that leaked. It was the knockoffs that had terrible c- temperature control, um, and it was the knockoffs that gave waterbeds a bad name.
2: Because they were fully embracing the sexy advertising.
1: That was part of it, too.
2: All the knockoff uh, manufacturers. And apparently, he, he pursued some of these, but it's he would have spent all his time and money pursuing patent infringement. Right if he really tried to go after everyone. And some of these didn't make a lot of money, and it was just sort of useless right. to even try. So it wasn't worth his time and money a lot of times.
1: He said to a lot of people who sold waterbeds early, like early waterbed dealers, basically they were just trying to make some fast money so they could go start a, a pot farm in Oregon. Right. That was like, that's who was selling <laughs> waterbeds in the early 70s.
2: It also has one of the creepiest lines ever in that uh, Atlantic article. It said, Something about when Charles Hall initially was selling water beds out of the back of his van, right? <laughs> like, man, that's the creepiest thing I've ever. Yeah, thought.
1: here, let me let me open up my van. You can lay on my waterbed in the back of my van. You about a size eight with the st- <laughs> with the stallion <laughs> painted on the side.
2: Oh man, speaking of seventies, I forgot about the the murals on the vans.
1: Remember when we used to do blog posts and stuff? Mm-hmm. I made like a slideshow. Oh, I remember that vans with art on the side. Yeah. I will see
2: those every now and then. I think
1: it's up still. It's good stuff. You want to take a break before we get into the, the um, this straightening of waterbeds? Yes. Okay. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go.
0: Learning stuff with and Charles, stuff you know.
1: I couldn't come up with a better word than straightening. I I apologize for that. Let me think the uh, I guess legitimizing but I'm thinking like more like a boring suburbanite of waterbeds.
2: Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. We say that Hall very much wanted to revolutionize sleep, and he didn't embrace the sexual component of it. But he sold a lot of waterbeds, and he kind of knew why a lot of these people were buying them. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't like, I don't think he was so pious that he was like, no, I don't want to sell them for that reason. Right? I think he eventually was kind of like, yeah, you know, that that's why people bought them, and that was okay. But sure. I, I don't think he just... I don't think he cheapened his own advertising that way.
1: No, he didn't. And he actually he he his company went under by the mid seventies and he he likens it to um basically advertising to the wrong market. Like yeah. he he made quality high end waterbeds um and it was advertising to people who could afford a more expensive quality, actual, legitimate waterbed. Mm-hmm. When at the time it was like, you know. Randall Pink Floyd and his friends were the actual customers of (laughs) waterbeds. That's who was buying waterbeds, and they weren't seeing the ads that Charles Hall was putting out there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? In like the New Yorker or whatever.
2: Yeah, and so he missed the heyday. Mm. He was sort of in the early heyday, but Mm -hmm. I think in the 80s is when it became like a $2 billion 20% 20% of the market share industry.
1: Right, yeah, like the late 70s, I think it was about a $13 million a year industry. Mm-hmm. And by 1987, I believe at its peak, it was like a $2.3 billion uh, industry a year.
2: And then a pretty steep, once again, grunge-killed waterbeds. Yeah. A pretty steep fall in the 90s. Right,
1: in the early 90s. Yeah. But the way that it built up before it fell <clears throat> was... More companies got into it, mm-hmm. kind of legitimized it. I believe that there was a trade association that developed. Um, and the, uh, I think it was like, it's called the flotation sleep industry is really the technical term for it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, they really wanted to get away from the sex appeal. They totally <laughs> that's, did. That's the name.
1: And like the stores, like you would, you wouldn't buy a waterbed in a head shop anymore. Imagine walking to a head shop and being like, well, what do you have a waterbed here for? Yeah. Um, you buy waterbeds out in the suburbs at a place called like Waterbed Plaza or something like that. right? Or did you see that ad I sent you, the YouTube ad?
2: You have the Max mm-hmm. Headroom? Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Country Boy Waterbeds. Everybody go, go onto YouTube <laughs> and look for Country Boy Waterbed ad, Max Headroom. And it's beautiful.
2: Yeah, it's a Max Headroom uh, ripoff. Yeah. Selling waterbeds.
1: Country boy waterbed. Country
2: boy waterbeds. Yeah.
1: Uh, and I think it was from Arkansas, like a local waterbed dealer in Arkansas.
2: Texarkana, you mean.
1: Oh, is that right? No, I okay. don't know. I was just guessing. But that's, I mean, like, the, you could get waterbeds everywhere. And well, that's
2: why my friend, I mean, in 1987 in suburban Atlanta, for my friend to have one in high school, mm-hmm. that kind of says it all, right? It's not like her, her his parents were like, mm-hmm. I mean, they were they were a good, God-fearing family. Sure. They were like, yeah, we need to get Chris a a, a sex pit,
1: right? It was more like they were <laughs> supposedly healthy. Yeah, they were like a healthy way to sleep. Uh-huh. I think that's also how it kind of transitioned the legitimacy and away from like just the association with sex, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, you have you have like a, an actual bona fide waterbed industry. Um, with actual water beds, one of the one of the ways that this industry was able to establish itself was they made vast improvements over the early models of water beds. It used to be that you had a just basically like a big bladder, a vinyl bladder that like a big sat hot water bottle. Wooden box, mm-hmm. and when you wanted to get out, you had to like kind of like work up to it and roll off the side, and <laughs> like bang your knee. Yeah, <laughs> you had to bang your knee on the way out. They leaked. There was a lot of problems with it, but then they started like improving upon it to where like the the waterbed was actually like this one article I think it was a Mental Floss article that I found said that in the eighties, uh, if you were a kid, a waterbed was as close to a status symbol as you could possibly get. For sure. You
2: know? Oh, yeah. My, I mean, it was
1: aspirational.
2: Yeah. There's no, when I say no chance, my parents would have bought me one. Yeah. It wouldn't have even, like, I wouldn't, I knew better than to even ask.
1: I think the same with me. I don't remember ever asking for one, no. although I really wanted one.
2: I, I think it was uh, like a pipe dream, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, I really want a waterbed. Right. It was such, so shut down in my mind as a possibility. Right. Like, this is a time where we inherited mattresses from our older siblings (laughs) right it was so gross
1: it was on the side of the road but it (laughs) looks not even too many stains on it kind of uh
2: wait kind of oh did you actually get a mattress from the side of the road no
1: i'm making sure you did not
2: (laughs) no but just short of that (laughs) okay um so mattress water beds then and now one of the the knocks against them is there they are very heavy uh, there's no way around it. If you fill up a mattress with water, mm-hmm. even partially, mm-hmm. you're going to have a lot of weight. Uh, depending on the size, a couple, two, three hundred gallons of water can weigh between 1,500 and 2,000 pounds. Right. And so they they always and still do need a lot of structural support underneath them. Right. A large, very heavy wooden platform.
1: Supposedly, that's why New York was known as the... um the city where the least number of waterbeds were ever sold. Oh, uh, yeah. I can't imagine. <clears throat> Part of it is because, like, in, in major cities, w- there were, like, waterbed bans and leases. Like, if you rented an apartment, you weren't allowed to have a waterbed. Yeah. It was just too heavy. It yeah, could fall I had those in my leases. Yeah. Um, people would leave them behind. Mm-hmm. It's like, here, you take this. You can't because move them. even when you drain the water... Like the thing that held the water bed was heavy itself. The frame was super super heavy. Yeah. It was like a um a bookcase that you didn't really want anymore. You just leave it behind. That's what happened to water beds. I didn't see you, and I don't how do you fill them up? Is it you a run water a garden hose? hose. Really? Yeah, that's how people did it. Wow. Yes. And then to get <laughs> it out, you needed like a pump. And you could buy all this stuff at your local water bed store, but you know when you buy a better a mattress, a regular mattress, you don't have to go buy a pump two years later because yeah. you're moving you know, and then pump the water out of the mattress. you just move the mattress, yeah, that was a big st- a big mark against it in the popular understanding of it.
2: I imagine with New York too, well, the weight is enough probably to disqualify it, but just getting a water hose up a seventh floor walk up, sure, uh, yeah, I'm surprised I haven't seen that movie scene, yeah <laughs> where they're like have a rope tied around a water hose. From the street level that they're bringing up through a window. Sounds
1: like Buster Keaton.
2: Or something like Super Sexy in the
1: 70s. Who would that be? I don't know. Fritz the Cat. Okay. (laughs) Al Pacino.
2: We should do a a podcast on uh, our crumb. Why haven't we done that? Any day. (laughs) <laughs> Any day buddy. <laughs> that was like a dare.
1: <laughs> I can't remember if I saw the was it a movie or a um documentary on him. It was a movie that came out in the early
2: 2000s. Right? Well, both. They did the great mm-hmm. documentary Crumb, mm-hmm. Um and I then can't remember
1: Which one I saw?
2: American Splendor. That's what I saw. He was a character in it, but it was largely about uh, Harvey um Harvey Pekar.
1: Yes. The That's great, what I great saw. Harvey Pekar. That was a good movie. Go watch.
2: Um all right, so these days uh like you said, they've been brought into the modern era. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a foam collar around the bladder. Uh, there's spandex on top. Um, I believe there are air pockets and things in between mm-hmm. to sort of stabilize it. Yeah, uh, they
1: don't actually, they don't, you can't get seasick on them like you used to be able to. Yeah. They don't move like that.
2: I really want to try one of these out and <clears> just see what it feels like. I don't want one, I don't think. mm mm-hmm. But I do want to see what the sensation is like.
1: One of my friends back in high school, their parents had a what he called a motionless waterbed. And now I understand what he's talking about. It's like waveless or whatever. Um, But it just felt like laying on a feather bed. Just Mm -hmm. the most comfortable feather bed you've ever been on.
2: Well, my friends must not have been waveless because it was it moved.
1: Yeah, this is no. And this would have been like the 90s or something like that. And I'm sure it was like a five thousand dollar mattress or something back then. But that seems to be like the kind that they have now. It's like you just lay on it and you're you're not like, Oh, this is a water bed. You're just like, This is super comfortable. Right. I'm floating and weightless, but your mind's not thinking you're laying on water. It's yeah, like down.
2: yeah I, I couldn't have like aside from moving a lot when I sleep, I'm a like a I like to flop on the bed. Mm-hmm. Like when I lay down, I don't lay gently on it. Mm-hmm. I will kind of throw myself into bed. Yeah. And none of these things are conducive to water beds,
1: Especially not in the 70s. But apparently now it's fine. You could do that.
2: Well, one of the new salesmen uh, they interviewed for this article said that he won't say the name waterbed. Um, he says because it turns people off. He said even if they try it and they like it and then they find out it's a waterbed, he said sometimes they won't buy it because right. of that weird 70s association like with porn.
1: Yeah, or they're worried it's going to leak or they're you know, they're going to have to fill it with water. There apparently I couldn't find any any um verification of this, but there was an urban legend at least that you could find aquatic worms floating in your waterbed. Oh. And they started being like, "Oh, well we need to add chemicals to the water."
2: Well then that makes it even grosser.
1: <clears throat> right. So there's like just over time people associated a lot of negative things with waterbeds. And then the thing that really killed the waterbed was that in the 90s by the by the 90s it it was clear that America was like, sure, we'll try other things besides a inner spring mattress. What right. do you got? And so like Tempur-Pedic came around, sure. or Sleep Number, all these guys who made technically alternative mattresses. Right. Um
2: our beloved Casper, sure, yeah,
1: same thing. That it, it, it follows in that tradition that the waterbed established. They, the, Charles Hall, created that market and showed that it was a real thing. Yeah, and so by the time the '90s rolled around, and, and like I think Tempur-Pedic was the first one. Um, it was like all the benefits of a waterbed mm-hmm. without the hassle of the water. Why would you want a waterbed? And that was it for waterbeds.
2: Yeah, and minus the creeps.
1: Yeah. Whereas just a few, a few years before, almost one in four, between one in four and one in five, between a quarter and 20% of all water (laughs) or of all mattresses were waterbeds. Wow. Sold in America. That's crazy. That's a lot down to nothing, down to just gone.
2: Oh man, imagine the landfills of America are filled with vinyl bladders. Yeah. Just rotting.
1: Well, rotting a thousand years from now probably.
2: Yeah, that's true. They're probably still in pretty good shape.
1: So one more thing about Charles Hall. Well, two more things. One, he went on to invent the solar shower, you know, the camping shower. No way. Yeah. Those are great. And then um, two, he has kind of a bad name, or he did at least back in 1991, I think, um, in that WAPO article, where the waterbed industry, the industry um, association that formed, they uh, they didn't like him very much because a couple years before his patent ran out, he'd been gone mm-hmm. and then came back and said, "All y'all owe me money for patent infringement." All y'all, and they were like, <laughs> "What, dude? We like we built this industry, you know? Like, we thought you, you were cool." It, kind of, and yeah. he was like, "No, I'm not. Give me some money." And he started like they apparently wanted to settle, and it wasn't enough. But one really noteworthy thing about one of their one of his lawsuits against, I think a, a Taiwanese, um. Manufacturer that um, he sold shares in the outcome, so like you could buy oh, shares and, of in, a lawsuit of a lawsuit, crazy. And there's a there's a, a common law law against it. It's called champtery, which I had never heard of before. I have Total sense. It's where somebody like basically pays for legal fees oh, in order to to get a, a piece of the action, a cut. Um, yeah Champtory. and in California at the time Champtory was not illegal. Is it now? I don't know if it is Wow but um in 1991 it was not and uh, he sold shares for ten thousand a pop uh, for this for this um, wow this lawsuit that's amazing. waterbeds they're amazing Chuck Jeez that's what the episode should be titled <laughs> it's up to you. you got anything else I got nothing else. Uh, if you want to know more about waterbeds, well, get in a time machine. Get in the Wayback Machine and go try one out yourself.
2: Well, we have one in the
1: Wayback Machine, so it's that's right. that's your lucky day. Covered in American <laughs> possum. Oh, boy. Uh, since I said that, it's time for listening now. Uh,
2: I'm going to call this one of the many replies for colorblindness, too. We got a lot of responses for colorblindness. Uh, what do you mean, too? Well, I called the uh, jerk. Uh, all right. Hey guys, I was listening to the show about colorblindness <laughs> with an O-U-R, so I assume this, uh, oh, he's, he's Canadian. I was going to say British.
1: It's like British light. Yeah, he's
2: still under the thumb, though. Uh, I worked in the electrical field for 10 years, and in that time, I've worked with uh, two red-green colorblind electricians. So remember, we talked about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one I worked with for a few years, uh, and he said it wasn't that difficult to tell the difference between red and green conductors. Uh, they just looked like every, uh, they looked like very obvious different shades of the same color. It only took a couple of mistakes before he was able to tell the difference. In electrical, red is a current-carrying conductor, mm-hmm. while green is used for grounding and bonding. Sure, like a rat in a science experiment. He explained it only took a couple of shocks of what he thought was a bonding wire to really notice the difference.
1: That's so dangerous.
2: <laughs> I know, man. Uh, the other I worked with for only a short while. Because he died. (laughs) But he had been an electrician for 20 plus years. It wasn't until he asked a co-worker why they thought the ground wire and a current carrying conductor were the same color that he even realized he was colorblind. Wow. How about that?
1: A little slow on the uptake.
2: Perhaps. Uh, So even though it caused some issues early on in their careers, they were both great electricians. I guess the human brain always finds a way. And that is James from Cape Breton, Nova Scotia,
1: Canada. That's cool, man. Great area. Eastern Canada, great area. Western Canada, fantastic. Central Canada, beautiful. We love it all. Yes, we do. Uh, if you're Canadian and you want to say hi, well, get in touch with us. Go to Stuff You Should Know and uh, click on our social media links or send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com.
2: 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit visible.com. The visible monthly rate is $25 per month.
1: Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end.